Colossians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. You may be like, wow, we're really getting slow to hear, slow here. The last sermon was verses 18 and 19. Now we're just doing 20 and 21. Um, but such is the case, an unhappy camper. If you know anything about me, I'm always an unhappy camper because I hate camping. I go camping once every 10 years just to remind myself why I don't go camping because <laughs> it's, I don't like camping. Um, so why don't we stand for the reading of God's word, Colossians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21. The scripture reads, children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Let's pray. The title of my sermon, by the way, is The Duty of Children and the Limits of Parents. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time in your word, and we ask that you would use it for good in the hearts and minds of all the hearers. Lord, pour out your spirit. Give our hearts a hunger for you and for your word and to make you known to men, to talk about the things of you, your word, your law, your great salvation. Lord, be glorified here. Help me to declare that which you've given me to preach, and I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You could be seated. This passage here in Colossians assumes children are the result of marriage. This passage assumes children are the result of marriage. After talking about wives and husbands in verses 18 and 19, remember our last sermon from Colossians, Paul speaks about children now in verses 20 and 21. Wives, husbands in 18 and 19, children in verses 20 and 21. This is a natural God-created order. Children are the result of marriage. It's what God intended for marriage. And though we live in a nation and in the midst of a Christianity that does all it can to not have children, have only one or two of them, nevertheless, children are the natural God-created order for husbands and wives. God calls children a blessing, not a burden. He calls them a heritage, not a bondage. Whenever someone in Scripture has many children, 8 to 17 of them, the Bible says the Lord did so to bless them, to exalt them. Children are, in fact, one of the three great intents of marriage, The early church fathers hammered out the three great intents of marriage, namely, number one, indissolubility. In other words, the Lord intends your marriage to be until death do you part. Second great intent is fidelity. In other words, the Lord intends you to win the affection of your spouse and no other. And the third great intent of marriage is children. The Lord intends for you to have children. And we should be thankful for as many as he gives to us. And this passage here, 
assumes children are the result of marriage. The second thing we notice in this passage is that children are to obey their parents. Amen? Children is mentioned, boom, comma, obey your parents. Amen? The second thing we notice in this passage is that children are to obey their parents. And there are so many passages throughout Scripture that speak to this fact, this ordinance, this commandment. And so children understand this. All you kids that are in here listening to me, obey your parents. It's the clear teaching of Scripture. Obey your parents. So strong is the Scripture on this matter that Proverbs chapter 30, verse 17, kids, declares, the eye that mocks his father and scorns obedience to his mother, the ravens of the valley will pick it out and the young eagles will eat it. Wow. Like if that doesn't get your attention, kids, I don't know whatever would. Okay, your eyes should be plucked out by ravens and eagles should eat them. If you don't obey, if you mock your father and scorn obedience to your mother, this is what the scripture says would be good for you. <laughs> so... The scriptures are emphatic that children are to honor and obey their parents. Emphatic. Colossians 3.20, our passage. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is pleasing unto the Lord. Ephesians 6.1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Proverbs 1.8. My son, hear the instruction of thy father, and forsake not the law of your mother. Proverbs 6.20, My son, observe the commandment of your father and do not forsake the teaching of your mother. Proverbs 23, verse 22, Listen to your father who begot you and do not despise your mother when she is old. Exodus 20, verse 12, Honor thy father and thy mother that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Matthew 15, verse 4, Christ repeats that commandment, and he states, For God commanded, saying, Honor thy father and mother, and he that curses father or mother, let him die the death. That's what Christ said. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 2 and 3, says, Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with the promise, so that it may be well with you, and that you may live long on the earth. The scriptures are emphatic. I could read many, many, many more. Children are to obey their parents. They're to honor them. And that's what it says here in our passage, here in Colossians. Chapter 3, verse 20. Children, obey your parents. And notice it says here in this passage, children, obey your parents in all things. In all things. For this is well-pleasing to the Lord, it says. Now we have to ask ourselves a question when we see all, all things. We have to ask ourselves, does all things mean every last thing? Or is there a time for children not to obey their parents? This passage assumes good Christian conduct. It assumes good parenting. 
That is why it says, in all things. And then it has the caveat, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. It assumes good Christian conduct by parents. It assumes good parenting. But this does not mean that there are not times when children should not obey their parents, nor would anyone take it to mean that. Hold on. Are children to obey their parents if their parents tell them to do something bad? Are children to obey their parents if their parents tell them to do something evil? Again, this passage assumes good parenting, but we still have to bring up the question. Are the children always to obey no matter what their parents say? If they're told to do something bad or evil, the children, are they to obey their parents? And the answer is no. Why? One reason is delegated authority. The Lord has established three great governments in the earth, family government, church government, and civil government. All three of these great governments have their own role, function, and limits. And anyone who has a position of authority in any one of these great governments, the authority they possess was delegated to them from God. They received their authority from God himself. Therefore, they are to govern according to God's rule as revealed in Scripture. So when they govern contrary to God's rule, they can be disobeyed, and in some situations, they must be disobeyed. For example, father tells his 12 or 14-year-old, go down to the corner and rob the gas station. Because if you get caught, you get a slap on the wrist, you're a minor, but if dad doesn't get caught, I'll go to prison for years. No one would fault the child for not obeying his father, nor should the son obey his father. That's bad, that's against God's word, that's evil. Or if an 18-year-old was taken to a brothel on his birthday by his father and told to fornicate so he could become a man, should the 18-year-old obey? Absolutely not. Absolutely not obey. Delegated authority from God restricts and limits the authority of parents, just as it does in civil government, just as it does in church government, just as it does even in self-government. Delegated authority from God restricts and limits the authority of any of the governments, including family government, including the authority of parents. They are governed according to his rule. Not go outside that and start advocating fornication or start advocating robbery. The authority parents possess is delegated to them of God and therefore limits the authority of parents. They cannot just say or do whatever pleases them. And scripture gives us an example of this. Where a son didn't obey his father for good cause. Turn with me to 1 Samuel 19. The book of 1 Samuel 19, and we're going to read verses 1 through 7. This is about Jonathan and his dad, Saul. 
says in verse 1, Now Saul spoke to Jonathan his son and to all his servants that they should kill David. So, okay. Was there just cause to kill David? Absolutely not. This was a bad, immoral order by Jonathan's dad. Now Saul spoke to Jonathan his son and to all his servants that they should kill David, but Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted greatly in David. So Jonathan told David, saying, My father, see, my father Saul seeks to kill you. Therefore, please be on your guard until morning and stay in a secret place and hide. Okay, so he's not obeying his dad, is he? <laughs> in fact, he's committing an act of interposition on behalf of David to keep him from harm. Why is he not obeying his dad? Because telling someone to go murder somebody, telling your own son or daughter to go murder somebody, is outside your authority. (laughs) It's against God's word. Amen? And no child should obey that. Goes on in verse 3 and it says, And I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where you are, and I will speak with my father about you. Then what I observe I will tell you. Thus Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, Let not the king sin against his servant against David, because he has not sinned against you, and because his works have been very good toward you. For he took his life in his hands and killed the Philistine, and the Lord brought about a great deliverance for all Israel. You saw it and rejoiced. Why then will you sin against innocent blood to kill David without a cause? So Saul heeded the voice of Jonathan, and Saul swore, As the Lord lives, he shall not be killed. Then Jonathan called David, and Jonathan told him all these things. So Jonathan brought David to Saul, and he was in his presence as in times past. Wow. So this is an act of interposition by Jonathan on behalf of David in defiance of his father's bad edict, right? Bad decree. Interposition can happen verbally, as it did here, by Jonathan talking to his father. Interposition can also happen physically, where you have to literally place your body between the oppressor and the intended victim. That's what interposition is, where you place yourself between the oppressor and the intended victim. It can be done verbally, it can be done physically, it can be done with both together. Extremely important to understand. So everything's good now, but it didn't last long, okay? Saul was crazy. He's a crazy, crazy Saul. Saul's a crazy guy. So it was only three verses later, Saul again is trying to kill David. You see it there in verse 10. And then in chapter 20, Saul's desire to kill David continues up here in chapter 20, the next chapter. So Jonathan and David, I'm not going to read it all to you. It's very lengthy. Saul continues to want to kill David. So Jonathan and David make a covenant together. They become covenant brothers. They also make a plan because Jonathan's doubting that his dad really wants to kill David. So they make a plan to reveal whether it's true or not that Um, Jonathan's father, Saul, wants to murder David. And the plan is David won't show up for dinner two days in a row. And if Saul gets mad about it, that reveals to Jonathan that his father does want to murder David. 
So let's pick up in verse 25 of chapter 20 of 1 Samuel. Verse 25, let's see what happens. Now the king sat on his seat, as at other times, on a seat by the wall. And Jonathan arose, and Abner sat by Saul's side, but David's place was empty. He was supposed to be sitting next to Saul on the other side. Nevertheless, Saul did not say anything that day, for he thought something has happened to him. He is unclean. Surely he is unclean. And it happened the next day, the second day of the month, that David's place was empty. And Saul said to Jonathan, his son, why has the son of Jesse not come to eat either yesterday or today? So Jonathan answered Saul and said this, David earnestly asked permission of me to go to Bethlehem. And he said, please let me go, for our family has a sacrifice in the city, and my brother has commanded me to be there. And now if I have found favor in your eyes, please let me get away and see my brothers. Therefore he has not come to the king's table. Then Saul's anger was aroused. Why was he angry? Because he wanted to kill David. And he wanted to do it soon. And David wasn't there so he could do what he wanted to get done to him, which was to murder him. Then Saul's anger was aroused against Jonathan. And he said to him, you son of a perverse, rebellious woman. Do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, you shall not be established, nor your kingdom. Now therefore, send and bring him to me, for he shall surely die. Here you have a clear command from a father to a son to do bad, to do wrong, to do evil. And what does Jonathan do? Does he obey his father? No. Rather, as the passage goes on, you see that Jonathan, rather than bring David to be killed and obey his father, disobeys his father and helps David escape from his father. So no, all things does not mean every last thing. As the qualifier makes clear in our passage, obey your parents in all things as is pleasing to the Lord. Murder would not be pleasing to the Lord. Robbing a gas station would not be pleasing to the Lord. And any parent who encouraged their child to do such things has exceeded the limits of the authority the Lord has delegated to them and should not be obeyed. Amen. Then look what our passage goes on here to say. Back here. In Colossians, not 1 Samuel, Colossians chapter 3, verse 21. 20 says, children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Verse 21 says, fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. When it says fathers here, it could be interpreted as parents. As the same Greek word is used in Hebrews 11.23 to refer to Moses' parents, his mother and father. But regardless, it would apply to both father and mother, whether grammatically or by virtue of the fact that the father is the head of the home, so he is addressed, but it would also apply to his co-regent, his wife, the mother of the children, as she is the father's, the husband's helper. Amen? 
So it applies either way to both. Father and mother. And Paul says, do not provoke them. Fathers, do not provoke your children. It means to embitter them, to make them resentful. And how so can a father or mother make their children resentful, bitter, provoke them? I want to mention just three areas, though there are more, but these three are common to cause that in children. Number one, fault finding. Some parents overwhelmingly find fault with their children and they beat them down. The child feels like they can never do good enough. This is something a parent needs to be conscious of. Some people have fault finding that's a deep level thing within their personality. If someone brings it to your attention that you're that way and they're not a dope who just sits around and lets their kids act like madmen and lunatics, you may want to consider what they have to say. Doesn't mean it's true. You have to look at it, ponder it, but it's something you need to consider if someone's willing to come and say it to you. The second is nagging. Have you ever seen a parent nag their children? They can't say it once. They didn't train their child that once they say it once, if you don't do it, oh, it's not going to go good for you. So they nag. And they nag. And they nag, and they nag, and this can embitter children also. Not good. And the third area is living vicariously through their children. Have you ever seen parents like this? Frankly, I've seen too many parents like this. And so they think they kind of suck, you know, so they want their kids to be better than them. So anything the kid doesn't do as good as they hope they would be, but they're not, They're beating all up on the kid. They want to live vicariously through their child. It's a really bad thing to do. I've seen men do it. I've seen women do it. It's an awful thing. Don't do that. Don't do it. Paul says, don't do these things. Knox said of this passage, quote, and you, parents, must not rouse your children to resentment, unquote. And then Paul says this, He says, lest they become discouraged. The Greek word translated here, discouraged, carries the idea of losing heart and suggests going about in a moody, listless, sullen frame of mind. When you see your child, especially in their teen years, walking around moody, listless, in a sullen frame of mind, that should alarm you as a parent. First, it should disgust you as a parent. (laughs) but it also should alarm you. Why is my child this way? And you need to investigate and find out why they are that way. One scholar put it this way. He said, quote, parents can be so exacting, so demanding, or so severe that they create within their children the feeling that it is impossible for them to please, unquote. Impossible to please their parents, Impossible, by extension, to please God himself. And I have seen parents who fault, find, nag, live vicariously through their kids, 
actually push their children away from Christ. That's how important that matter is. Let me close with an exhortation to family, to husbands, fathers, to wives, mothers, and to children. I want to address each of you. I'll begin with men. Men, you want to encourage your children. You want to encourage your children. Praise doesn't come overly easy for men. We don't really care if we get much of it. And so it's not like a big deal to give it. But you have to learn it. You have to learn it. Because it matters to some more than others. You must encourage your children when you see goodness in them. When they do something right. You need to let them know you saw it. You noticed it. Massively important. You want to encourage your children and you should want to bring order to your home. We live in a nation where there is very little order in the home. And it's translated from the home into the church, into the community, into the nation. Because the home is the building block of all these other organizations, of church, of community, of the nation. It all starts in the home. You want to realize why there's so much chaos and lawlessness in society at this point? Because there's been chaos and lawlessness in the home for generations, and it's been building. I'm 61. I've watched it with my own eyeballs. Don't have to read about it in a book. I've seen it. My experience has been I've learned children want order. They want to know their limits. We live in a culture that makes you fearful to bring that about in your children, lest someone report you to the government authorities. They've made parents afraid to do their duty in raising. It's evil, it's despicable, and it's disgusting. And so we've seen parents give their kids far too much leeway, far too much freedom. And it's been to our nation's hurt, and it's been done by the status because every status knows that in order to strengthen the state, you have to weaken the family, and this is another area where they do it. They have invaded our domestic affairs and used threats of law and coercion and Nazi-like citizens who want to use the state for their own purposes because of the fact that you're not raising your kid just like they think they should be raised. Here in Wisconsin, you can make a phone call anonymously, and this government in this state can come and take your kid away for 72 hours, and you don't have any say. Have you ever been with a parent who lost their kid for 72 hours? It's an eternity! That's the type of evil you're up against as mothers and fathers. It's disgusting. It's wicked. And why men have allowed it, I have no idea. Children want order. They want to know their limits. Let me give you a simple plan to bring order to your home. If you realize you need to bring order to your home, and that does not mean your children behave like potted plants. If you think children behave like potted plants, you're either still single or you're a dope. (laughs) You're just dumb as a box of rocks, and you just don't, yeah. It doesn't mean, well, Matuela says, oh, Priscilla, she doesn't swoon into the room and say, yes, father. Yeah. 
It's like, <laughs> let's live realistic lives, right? <laughs> but you see that you need to bring order into your home. Here's a plan I have for you. If there's chaos or disorder in your home, for whatever reason, and it's important to have order in your home, especially when you have lots of children in your house, any children in your house, important to have order in the home. If there's chaos or disorder in your home and you want to bring order to your home, here's what you need to do. Very simple plan. You need to pull back. Men, still talking to the men, pull back and get alone with God. Get alone with him. Have a piece of paper and a pen with you. Or have your, don't, you know, don't bring your device because it'll distract you. Have old, old fashioned, good old-fashioned paper and pen. Have your Bible with you and seek God. He will show you the weaknesses within your home and where you need to bring order. I had to do this numerous times. This isn't a once-in-a-lifetime deal. <laughs> you know, this is, me and Claire had 11 kids. This is something that's ongoing, right? Have a pen and paper and your Bible. Seek him. Quiet yourself before him. And put to paper the things you need to do to see order restored in your home. He'll show you. You need that time to pull back, be alone with him. There was a time... Years ago, I haven't done it probably in eight or nine years now. I would get away for three days out of the year, gone, just to seek God, be completely by myself. That's important, men, for you to take time alone with God. Extremely important. Remember, the buck stops with you. You can't point at your kids. You can't point at your wife. The buck stops with you. In all of God's relational structures, there is an hierarchy of order. And when it comes to marriage, the man is the head of the home. When you are done and you have your list and your ideas where the failures and weaknesses are and how to restore and reform those areas, Sit down with your wife. This is an important part of it. Sit down with your wife. She is your helpmate. You are building something holy together, namely a family and a home. Amen? Show her your thoughts. Express your thoughts. Get her input. You want her on board. You want to do this together. Get her input. Get her on board with your efforts because you're going nowhere if you don't do that. You're on a hamster wheel to nowhere. And listen to what she has to say. You all heard that little six-letter word I just said, men? Listen. Listen to what she has to say. Add the good that she has to say. Disregard the dumb. Listen, listen also to this. Do not sit her down with all the children when you give your ideas and list before you meet with her. Don't do that. Don't sit her down with all the kids. You must meet with her before that happens. 
Because you're together. You're building this holy thing together. She's your wife. She's your co-regent. She's your helper. Amen? You don't treat your wife like she's one of the kids. You meet with her first. You work it out together. So often, parents are like this, at odds with each other. And so they talk disrespectfully to each other in front of their children, and that causes the children to have disrespect for the father and the mother. You're not helping yourself when you do that. You're harming yourself. You're hindering the growth of this holy thing God has brought you together to build. Understand that? This is important. When you have fights, when you have disagreements, go somewhere quietly. If you're, you know, like to talk loudly when you're having your disagreements, you know, go far away, you know, and talk about it. Everybody's different. Some person could be totally ticked off and they're still talking like in a whisper. Another person can be not ticked off at all. They're just a little animated and you can hear them four blocks away, right? Just because someone's talking in a whisper doesn't mean they have control of the situation. So women, here's my exhortation to you. Respect your husband. Yes, we're slow to learn. I acknowledge that, always have. It's extremely important when your husband makes the move to restore and reform things within the home, to bring order to it, that you respect him. Massively important. Give insight where needed. Give strong argument against something proposed if needed. Give praise to your husband for taking on his God-given responsibilities. Don't hinder him in that. Well, it's about time. Oh, that was smart. That's helpful to the situation. (laughs) I love these kind of talks. (laughs) It's it's real-world stuff. You know what I mean? Real-world stuff. Help him implement order in the home, women. You are building something holy together. You are impacting generations of your offspring subsequent to you. I know that's a little redundant. If you're an offspring, of course, they are subsequent to you. (laughs) And to both of you, I say this, to, to the men and the women, the fathers and the mothers, I say this, do not become slaves to order and stress yourselves out into oblivion. For instance, a bedtime for the kids, rather than just letting them chug along till they drop somewhere and then carrying them and plopping them into the bed. Actually having a bedtime for them brings order to the home. It's a goodness. But don't be such a crazy person about it that you um, don't realize that life is what it is and sometimes we won't make it to bed at the appointed time. That's just how life goes, right? Don't make yourself a slave to order. Um, John Wesley ran into all kinds of trouble like this with his wife because he went to bed at 9 o'clock no matter what. 
people who knew him said he could be in mid-sentence, and when it hit 9 o'clock, he would just stop, get up, and go to bed. Okay, now that's, that was good for the rest of the world, you know, because he's preaching all the pointing men to Christ and all his preaching five times a day. 5 a.m. was his first sermon of the day. And, um, but man, that's a little hard on family life. Homeschooling is another area, right? Well, we're going to get this done. Darn it! <laughs> you know, if it's the last thing we ever do. Don't let the status make you bring their statism into your homeschooling, okay? You can overdo it. Family worship. Bless God, we're having this family worship. Get over here! Oh, that's going to be a wonderful time of family and (laughs) spiritual growth. It's like, oh man. There may be some days where you don't get to do the family worship, and you know I'm massively big on family worship. Huge stuff. It sets the tone in the home. And if you don't do it, you realize the change in the tone in the home. You you neglect that for one week, and you got a number of kids, you can see the tone in the home change. That's how important it is, men. And it's your duty to do it. You're a provider, a protector, and a priest to your home. You must open the word of God to your wife and to your children and sit and talk about the things of the Lord. Amen? That falls on you. It's your duty. You'll notice your wife does that. Spends time with the kids, nurturing them, explaining the things of the Lord to them. Thank the Lord for that. But you too must do it, and they must see you do it. It means a lot. Every study that's ever been done shows that far more of the children go astray if the mother is serious about Christ, but the father isn't. Then do if the father himself is serious about Christ significantly more children remain faithful to Christ. That's how important your duty is. Think on that. Let that sober you up. Get the gravity of it all down in your heart and mind. Now to the children I say this, kids listening, you can either be a goodness in the home or a hardship in the home. And there's much I could say about that. But understand this, your parents are not perfect because there are no perfect people. Did you hear me, kids? Your parents aren't perfect because there are no perfect people. As you grow up, you'll realize, oh, he's not perfect. And some young people become sullen and bitter and all kinds of nonsense. Rather, your attitude should be what David was. When he saw a shortcoming in those who were in authority in his life, he determined that he would do better in that area in his life, and he didn't think less of the person who had authority in his life. That's how Christians think and behave. Most parents, listen to me, kids, now. Most parents, because of the broken-down state of our culture that has been going on for over four generations now, are getting on-the-job training. They had no example, in most cases, of goodness to follow, to see lived out before them. 
They are getting on-the-job training. They are learning as they go. Understand your mom and dad want to do right by the Lord, and they are learning to do right by him. Notice that. Notice their love for him. And be a goodness in the home. You kids, be a part of something holy. You are part of something holy by virtue of being a son or a daughter. You too are part of building this holy thing, a family, a nation of people. You're building a nation of people. We refer to ourselves as the Truella Nation. (laughs) You're building a nation of people. Amen? Extremely important. Fathers and mothers bring order to your home. Build businesses with your children. This can be difficult in this culture, helping your children mature and take on responsibility because you live in a culture that wants to keep young people perpetually adolescent into their, far into their 20s. It's ridiculous. I had a friend named Frederick who sent me this this week. Here's what he said. He said, quote, When I was a kid, I worked on a farm. The work ethic that I learned there has served me well throughout my adult life. When my son turned 14, I took him to a local farm to apply for a job. They told me they couldn't hire him because there was nothing that he could do legally. We wonder why men are so effeminate, unquote. And this is the case. When I was young, there was all kinds of jobs you could go get at businesses and places, and they would just pay you under the table. Now they're all scared spitless to have a kid around, and there's plenty of Nazi citizens that'll report you if you have a kid around. We keep giving law to the most debased among us, the latest of which is all the dopes walking around with their masks, pulling up their sleeves to get shots of an atrocious atrocious materials they put into their body so they can walk around and scour and make everybody conform. This matter of effeminizing men I've found to be true And it's all part of the design to demand men. They want to demand men to not allow young men to grow up, take on responsibility, risk, achieve, succeed, fail, persevere. That's what you're up against. So you must govern your homes well, men. Only all the world, and even most the Christian world these days, is against you, just so you know that. That's all. Your government, society, the culture, the whole world, and most of Christianity. That's all that's against you. So I tell you, hold your duties in the sight of Christ dear and perform them well. Hold your wives dear. Cherish them. Build together. May Christ be praised. Amen. Let's stand up and we'll close in a word of prayer. Hallelujah, Father.
I'll praise to you, O Lord. I'll praise to you, O God. Lord, we thank you and we praise you for your goodness to us. You've preserved your word so we can know your ways and your thoughts, and we thank you for this. Lord, help each man, help each woman, help each child to understand they're involved in their home building a holy thing. May you weld each member of the family of each home represented here together, O God. Strengthen them together as they draw close to you. May they be brought closer together. Help each with their duties and their responsibilities. Let love deepen and grow amongst them. May those familial ties so easily being destroyed and rendered underfoot in our day be something they get to taste and enjoy, be a part of. Something other men wish they could have in their lives, examples that cause others to be pointed to your son and cause them desire to be brought under Christ's rule. Lord, we thank you and we praise you for your goodness to us. Keep our hearts hungry for you. May we take the time to be alone with you, to cry out to you, to beseech you. When we are weak, then we are strong because of you. Be glorified through our lives, I pray, Father. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.